Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome back to the Forsake of Argument podcast. I'm your host, Abrams, and I'm here with my very good friend, Red. Red, welcome back to the show, man. Oh, man, it's always good to be here. It feels feels like we've taken way too much time off of this. And yeah, I, think, I agree with that. I think that's going to be evident in the fact that me and you just have a sh- poop ton that we want to talk about when it comes to a several different subjects. So we're going to try to really enjoy it today. We're just going to keep firing from the hip because there's a lot to go over. Uh, so I want to start out today. I have this bottle of whiskey, bourbon, Kentucky bourbon. Uh, it's still a whiskey. It's still whiskey. It's kind of like all, all bugs are, or all insects are bugs, but not all bugs are insects. I gotcha. Gotcha. Kind of like all humans are monkeys, but not all monkeys are human. No, no. <laughs> have, you, have you heard that? Primates. One? I, I, I'm being facetious. <laughs> Unless all, you have a vestigial tail that I don't know about. Well, it's, it's, it's grown, it's retracted. So, you know, it like. I had a choice to make when I was in the womb <laughs> and I chose to retract it. So <laughs> I also made that choice. Okay. Most people do. I don't know anyone that hasn't yet. No, I guess there are people that are born with some, with their coccyx extended yeah. to where it's, you know, a little bit of a tail or a whatever. A vestigial tail. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's kind of like snakes have legs. I don't know if you knew that. They have all the nerve endings for legs. You ever hear that? No, I didn't know that. Totally random off topic thing. I didn't believe it. It was a wives tale that I heard from an uncle when I was growing up. And, and well, I heard it from my father and he's like, you know, your uncle's really smart. And he was talking about this one time and he said that when they were doing research on biology on snakes, they found that they had all the nerve endings in, in very specific locations throughout their body. And the way that their vertebrae is structured, that at some point they think biologically over evolution if you believe in evolution, that they lost their legs at some point, but they used to have legs. And that's why they still use the slithering motion for their movements because they, they, that basically replaced their need to actually have physical legs to walk with. So I think I I think I'd actually read something about snakes losing their legs over time. Yeah. And that's something I, I absolutely like. There's there is massive evidence. Anybody who says they don't believe in, in evolution, oh, there's, evolution, there's massive evidence for what, what I like to call um, uh Microevolution micro yeah. versus macroevolution. So non-special. Mi- exactly. So microevolution meaning, hey, this particular like species changed mm-hmm. over time. Macroevolution meaning like, hey, all of these different species came out of of this one species. So like, and I think one of the greatest evidences for that is dogs. Oh, absolutely. So we have done a number with dogs through selective breeding purposefully. Absolutely. So you've got you've got dogs that don't look anything like a wolf, even though that's generally where where they came from like <laughs> right you're a chihuahua or an english bulldog to to a wolf and you, you're not going to think that they're anywhere near the same species but they can breed absolutely and they can not only can they breed but they can breed Some, offspring that can then go and propagate itself it's not like when you you know, breed together a donkey and a horse and make a yeah, mule or a tiger and a lion to make a liger mm-hmm. Th- those while that can create a, a life form that life form is then sterile and cannot continue to propagate its own uh, species. Right. But you know, you breed a, a dog, you breed any sort of dog, any breed of dog with a wolf, it's going to be able to then go on and continue to breed. Yeah. So, well, that, and you got salamanders, like I know that they're not anywhere super related to snakes, but a great example of like, they have really small legs. The legs are almost not useless. They use the same motion as a snake does cold blooded. They're mostly amphibious or, you know, like uh, what do they call it? Wow, am I losing? I'm losing track of important words well, here. Salamanders today. are amphibious, even though snakes are reptiles. Right, but a lot of snakes can also be amphibious. So, amphibious, amphibious in practice, mm-hmm. not amphibious in function. In, right. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I agree with that. It's kind of like saying, you know, a crocodile is still a land animal. But yeah. It, it lives the crocodile is, the water. It, it has an amphibious life. It right. is not an amphibian. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we got sidetracked and I love, love when that happens. But, uh, but I had this sitting on the shelf for a while. I got it from a friend and it's I.W. Harper and it's a Kentucky bourbon. And I was looking around at the, um, at the uh, date and it's got a date stamp on the front and the back label at the very bottom. It's a, it's a small, it's a squished oval and it's got 95, 1995. And this bottle was, uh, it's got a tax stamp on it from, from a Midwestern state. So it's, it's somewhat local to what we're, what we're used to. And, uh, but 95, and then it's a four year aged whiskey. So it's a 91 is when it was cast. Yeah. I just wish that, uh, it's really only the the time that it's spent in the cast that really counts. (laughs) Hey, it sat on a shelf and we were the first ones to crack it open. So we're not cracking open, uh, maybe, um, especially aged whiskey, but it's, um, it's a unique one for the fact that nobody else is cracking open a 95 right now. Yeah, it's not like wine, and I get that. You know, wine's like, oh, even if it sits in the bottle, if it's older, you know, it continues to stew itself, and it's better than nothing. But uh, here, I took a sniff as soon as I opened the bottle. <laughs> so definitely getting some apples there, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of pear, honey. Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, no, you set up for that one. Yep, a little bit of spice. Yeah, but nothing too crazy, and it's actually not as many wood tones as I thought I'd get out of it. No, no, not super smooth. Mm-hmm. Not much bite to it, but okay. There, the very end one. Once it finally washed the rest of the way, I can still tell that it's a, it's an eighty proof. But it's really slow to come on. That's really smooth for a four year. Yeah. Now I I understand that different uh, whiskeys will age differently, given a lot about the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. So like, you can have a whiskey that's been aging for twenty years in Scotland. That will have not ex- the same flavor profile, but the same as far as like harshness and stuff sure. as a whiskey that has only been aged for a few years in Texas. So things like humidity, um, variance sunlight, in temperature. UV. Well, you always going to keep it out of sunlight because it's going to be in a cask. Oh, but I thought you were talking about like even after. Anyway, yeah. but you know, but the the things like that, like the humidity, um, temp- variance in temperature. So if you've got something where it stays a relatively constant temperature all year long, it will age differently than something that has goes through all four seasons, uh, or especially very harsh seasons. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I, I understand that, but still, I kind of takes me back a little bit that from a four year whiskey that that's that's as smooth as it is. Yeah. That's got a good flavor to it. It, it really does for sitting on a shelf that long. I'm not, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> yeah. That actually, I actually, I like that better than a lot of bourbons that I've tried. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So I figure when it came, we were kind of discussing this a little bit. Like we, we enjoy our EDC checks on each other, but we realized that we kind of just got repetitive with it because mm-hmm. we didn't change a lot. Mm-hmm. I added a watch last time, you know, and, and little things like that, but, <clears throat> and your coin changes from time to time. So yep. I figured, Hey, let's just do the changes. So uh, I'll do mine real quick. Just so we have, a, I mean, literally there's two items. The first one is a Swiss army knife and this is the cadet. And the reason I got it is just because of the size and the profile. It is just so thin and so small. It's the, what they call the Alox version, A-L-O-X. And it's it's aluminum shell. And then you got your standard, you know, Swiss Army knife steel in there. And it's really basic, but it does everything that I need it to do for a pocket knife. And I feel like I haven't really used it a whole lot yet as far as like prying or doing anything crazy with it. But it is good to have a can opener with me. I literally was, you know, we went to a restaurant 
and uh, you know, grabbed some food, went out the door, and I had a fresh lemonade that that I bought, and it wasn't a twist top. And I was like, ah, 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 found a use, <laughs> so I popped it open, cracked the bottle open. So that was a really good deal. And then this, I went searching for. Well, I'll, let me let me say real quick. Yeah, I have had so many times where I've used things other than a bottle opener as yes. a bottle opener because I didn't have one on me. Yeah, I used the hog gauge, which is like a when you're measuring a roof shingle. And try to determine what year, you know, if it's a 25 year, 30 year, 40 year, whatever. I used that to open a bottle the other day because I didn't have anything on me. But, you know, hey, when I got the cadet now, I'm good to go. That's got a good textured feel to the uh, to the aluminum scales on there. The only thing missing so far is I'm going to put a lanyard on it. So I'm going to put a lanyard maybe with some brass beads just so it's something a little more substantial to be able to grab out of my pocket. Because the one thing I did notice is uh, the steel gladly jumps onto the magnet that's on the back of my Olight. And it loves to just come out with the old light. So I get that. I need something that's going to keep it in the pocket a little bit better or that I can conceal it. Because it doesn't have, this does not have a pocket clip. So I can't just leave it clipped in there. Yeah. But it's fine. It's This is a bottom of the pocket kind of carry thing for me anyway. So I have no problem with that. Then I went looking for, I I, I just, I, I have opened a million boxes this year. And it just always seems to be the case. There's always something needing cut. And I just keep sharpening the same knives over and over again because I like to carry the same knives over and over mm-hmm. again. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot with... Carrying. I don't know what that's like at all. No. It's just the guy who's carried the same <laughs> knife in his pocket every day for the last 10 years. Yep. But I figured instead of wearing those knives down with simple box opening stuff, I'm going to carry a foldable, collapsible box opener and just a box cutter, a utility knife. That's a lot thinner than most of the ones out there. Like you get some of the folding ones that from... Uh, from Home Depot or mm-hmm. Lowe's or something like that. They're, yeah, and they're I've got big one. and chunky. I've got one that I used to, when I worked at a grocery store back when I was like, you know, just out of high school, I used one that was a foldable and it was a Sheffield, I think is the name of the company. But it's, like you said, it's bulky aluminum and it's, it's really overbuilt for, you know, but I needed that at the time and it had a, bo- a pocket clip on it. But this one's pretty nice. It's a line locker. It's stainless steel and it, uh, or a frame lock, I should say. It has a decent built clip. Yeah. And I can position it. One of the things that was weird is like, where do I position it? Because I carry something on both sides with a belt clip. My, my flashlight on the left and pocket knife on the right. And turns out, because the clip is made well enough, I can actually ride this up higher than the knife and keep it from clackety-clackety-clack in my pocket just by positioning. Well, and that that's actually thinner than my ZT that mm-hmm. I carry around all the time. Yeah. So, and that's, I used to have a, uh, it was a Husky uh, utility yeah. knife folder that had the little slot in there for extra blades and stuff. I, I had that back when I worked in home improvement. Mm-hmm. So I'd carry that around with me all the time um, when I'm, I was at work doing yeah. stuff on the job sites. But I always wanted to be able to pull out that that new blade, you know, if things were starting to get dull. Yeah. But with as little as you use that, that's probably – you don't need to have spare blades on you. You can no. just go and grab it, one from your workshop or from the garage or whatever yeah. whenever that one well, gets Well, I can dull. always flip the blade, number one. So as soon as I wear one end out, flip the blade, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, let's throw a new blade on it. And then you've got a million different varieties of types of blades you want to use, carbide tip and all sorts of different things. So it leaves a little variety as far as what you actually want to cut with. The only gripe that I have with it is it doesn't have any kind of thumb stud to help you open it. And so there's no easy one-handed opening. It's kind of, it's kind of a pain. And there's nothing slick about opening it. You know how like your no, ZT, I know exactly what like, you're talking you know, about. Just, it's, it's the emotion of opening something sometimes so that makes it entertaining. And th- that has no entertainment value when you open it. <laughs> it's like, this is strictly utilitarian. So let me see here. It might be, how, how does it open? Like I think it's a top. Up. I think the top of it pops. Yeah. So I'm trying to get as far as getting the blade out. I don't know. I haven't tried to dislodge the blade yet. So we should do that. Okay. Not on the podcast. We should do that <laughs> some other time well, off see, the podcast. I'm going to send you home with one. I might be able to. 
when I bought it, it was super cheap, but it came as a three pack. So I've got, I've got a couple extra. I'm, I only need one, maybe two, but I'm going to send you home with one too, to kind of fiddle around with and see what you think about it. Cause I know there's titanium options out there and there's some other stuff that's, you know, maybe a little bit better quality or maybe functions a little bit better, but it just looked right. And especially for the price on Amazon, I think it was like, I paid like six bucks or something, got a three pack of those. Well, I'm wondering if we couldn't take like a little, um, like a little thumb screw, um, and we could try to weld that on there. True. And then, uh, you know, we could, we could polish it up and make it look nice and professional, but that'll be, that would be something that you could get that assisted open mm-hmm. or well. And I wonder that. what, I wonder what I could do as far as like putting in like a nylon bushing, uh, at the axis to maybe help it with the opening. So it has a smoother, more of a glide open. Oh, well you can get a nylon bushing from, uh, from Ace Hardware. Right. Or we could go to Menards or whatever. They, yeah, they've got them everywhere. Yeah. We could absolutely do that. So maybe it's something we modify a little bit, give it a shot. And, and you know what? I just looked at Honestly, it. Honestly, I've got a different belt clip that would make this right even lower in the pocket. I might try to swap out for. Well, you know what? Honestly, I feel like modifying things makes it more fun. Absolutely. When you make stuff more <laughs> yours, it just makes it so much I, more enjoyable. I don't to, have a single gun in, in, that I own that I haven't modified. That I haven't done something to it. Just because... Well, Guns are made manufactured really well nowadays. Like they usually have all the things you want. But like when I bought, you know, I, I bought a pistol one time, uh, and it was exactly what I wanted. It just didn't have night sights on it. So I got some Trigicon night sights. You know, and you, just, you can't help but modify something on it, and then adding a light to it, and and this and that and the other. So, Absolutely. No, the know. only they're the only gun that I have that I have not modified. That's not true. I have a hunting rifle that I actually traded some gun parts for that I have not done anything to, but. The one I was going to mention is my M1 Grand. Yeah. And my M1 Grand I got, it's, it's a trophy rifle that I got from my time on the Navy marksmanship team. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, you oh, don't no, want to mess you know with what? it too much. That, I'm, I'm lying. I have done something to that. My next door neighbor at the time was a collector of M1 Grants. Right. And he had a Korean, a Korea War, Korean War era sling for an oh, M1 nice. Grand that he wound up giving me that I put on the rifle. So I have modified everything except for that hunting rifle that I traded. Well, and that's for. technically that that Grand. That isn't really modifying. That's getting it back to original condition. So, yeah, kind of. Because it's OEM spec to have that on there. That's true. So don't feel bad about that one. <laughs> you, but it didn't come you with it. I had to go out and it. get it and add it on there. So. No, because I'm sure the one that was originally on it was probably more the slap out from being in their armory forever. Yeah, probably something like that. <laughs> So what about you? What did you change with your EDC carry? Uh, so I am carrying something additional today. Okay. He's going for the back pocket. So this is Uh-oh. my little Leatherman jam is what it is. Um, Trying and to carry a multi-tool like me now. Huh? Well, <laughs> no, I carried that around for work all the time. The, yeah. the only time I didn't have, the only reason I didn't have that on me last time was because I was wearing different pants than what I'd worn to work all week. So looks like a 12 millimeter, 10 and eight millimeter. So it's, it's like a little uh, regular Leatherman that's mm-hmm. inside of that little border thing. And that's... Does it pop out? Yep, yeah, it just pops out. So you lift it up and slide it out. So... Gotcha. So it's got that little surrounding piece of metal. It's got uh, little grooves cut in there mm-hmm. for... Um, they're just little hex-shaped grooves for using with bolts and stuff. And then it's got like a little file edge on one side. It's got a little carabiner clip on there yeah um they put little holes on here for you to put your your headphones in and wrap your headphone wire around there oh uh not very many people still use that <laughs> but um i'm actually kind of impressed with the multi-tool that's in it is the uh, leatherman style ps 
And I'm, I've avoided these micro multi-tools because I just didn't think they'd do any purpose. Like, but I messing with time. it now, like I can see where there would be a lot of little, little things I could work on and, and make use of it. Well, and so when I've got that on me, I always have a bottle opener, right? but so it's got the pliers. It's and got, scissors. it's got scissors. I love the scissors for cutting hangnails, oh, yeah. dead skin, things like that. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, threads that come off. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it, it's great. Um, then it's got the uh, nail file and the nail file has that little edged deal on the, on the end that can work as either a flathead or a Phillips head screwdriver. Right. So the angle that it's cut allows it to fit into, it's only one of the slots on the Phillips head, but still it fits in there and it'll work. But it doesn't have a knife. Yeah. And that was deliberate. Because you carry one. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I carry a knife. But the the thing is, is that I originally carried a little, a little Swiss Army pen knife that had like a one-inch blade. And I went through TSA on flights with that. Really? Probably at least somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen times. So nobody ever stopped me. And then one time I'm coming back from Orlando and this lady sees it in my, uh, she's, she was actually going through checking my baggage for something else. Yeah. And saw that. Like it was just something. It's, it was such a tiny little deal, and it had the scissors on there. It had the file, the toothpick, and the the tweezers, and that actually has tweezers on there too. But it had all of those little things, and but it's just like was on my keychain, and so it all. I I don't know whether people just overlooked it, whatever. It wasn't a, really a threat, but this lady saw it when she was looking for something else. Mm-hmm. She's like, "You can't have this." I'm like, seriously, I can do more damage with that flashlight than I can with that tiny <laughs> Which I'm blade. sure they were excited to hear you say that. <laughs> but, but seriously, it th- doesn't have a grip to hold on to it. Right. The the one-inch blade, like, I would have to really just get you in the neck, in the right place in the neck, and and hold on to it as I'm trying to cut through. Like it's, A it's, fork might do better. <laughs> really? Like, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I might be able to kill you easier with a fork. At least a fork, I'd have a full grip. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was completely ridiculous to me, but she wasn't budging. So I'm like, all right, well, let me break the blade off. I'll just stick it here in between. I was going to stick it in between the little rolly uh, things there on the line and just snap it off. And I'm yeah. like, there, you can keep the blade and let me keep the rest of it. I don't really use that blade anyway. I've got another one. Yeah. But no, she wanted me. So you can do that, but you have to go out of out of line all the way back out through TSA and then I'll give it back to you and then you can do it out there and come back through the line. Well, we had just waited 40, 45 minutes to get through that line. Mama wasn't having it. I I wasn't having it. (laughs) Screw that. You know what? That thing was like 10 bucks. It's not worth 45 minutes of my time. Did you know they sell boxes of TSA seized objects to the public in public auctions? That's interesting. If you hop on YouTube, there's videos of guys that do it, and they'll pay anywhere sometimes between like 200 to 500 bucks for a box, and it's one of the bigger priority mailboxes that's like six inches tall, probably a foot long, and then probably, you know, eight to, t- it was probably 10 inches wide. It's a pretty big box, and this, I was watching a video this, a few weeks ago, and the guy's like, yeah, TSA sees box, and opens it up, and there was literally probably $1,000 worth of knives in it. 
That's it, awesome. It, it had probably over 70 knives in it and multi-tools and everything under the sun. So if you just want to... We might have to look at that. I know. Maybe go in and do a purchase and then just do a podcast going over what we found from the TSA. Yeah, maybe we'll give them away to some listeners. <laughs> right. Oh, dude, you're on to yeah. something. <laughs> join, the, join the Facebook group. Yeah. Uh, I think it was... For a, Sake of Argument podcast on Facebook. There you go. There's a little bit of a... There's a questionnaire. You got to answer a couple of questions. And that's how we keep the... Uh, that's what we keep it... Riff Raff out. Zucked. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's how we keep the Riff Raff out. Uh, just answer those and uh, yeah, interact with us. Yeah, if we do that, man, we'll, we'll have to give away some stuff. That'd be awesome. Yeah, be awesome. I'm sure there's a lot of people that like I, I'm thinking of nephews and nieces that hey, here you got an EDC now. Well, you can't I mean, say you don't. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the knives knives are so useful. Yeah, and but, the variety. Like when I when I watched them open the box, there was not a single knife that was identical. There's over over 75, and there's a lot of multi tools like little juice S2s and you know leather, full size Leathermans and and Victorinox stuff, and I'm like you just wouldn't believe there's some quality items that were in there, some really beautiful buck handmade knives. Yeah, I mean people throw everything out at TSA, well, and it's it's all about you know the, the timing. Mm-hmm. But I, Rue and I were coming back from a trip, and we just we got up to TSA. We were getting ready to start in the line, and I'm like, oh crap. I still have my ZT on me. Ooh. I didn't put it in my baggage. And she's giving me all this crap about it. And she's so frustrated. And there was no line anyway. But fortunately, at the Denver airport, they have a, a post office. Oh. So I went up, up there. And I got, yep, I got an envelope. And I was mailing it to myself. And as I'm up there paying for it, she reaches into her purse and finds out, she still has her knife on her. <laughs> so after she's giving me all this crap going upstairs right. from, from the TSA check-in up to the post office, all throughout ca- like getting selecting everything, and she's giving me all this crap, and then realizes she has her knife on her too. Uh-huh. So we stuck both of them in there. Actually, I think we had to open it up and get a new package yeah. so that we could put both of the knives in there and send it off. Um, but yeah, that was... That was interesting. At least I, I, there was no way in hell I would have missed my flight before I would have thrown that knife away. Yeah, the only thing I've had to throw in TSA was I had one of those little card. Uh, it, it's the size of a credit card, but it's like a little survival toolkit. You know, it's got a little saw in it, got uh, fish hooks, a bunch of random little tools that are in there and files and whatnot. But it's not useful until you break it apart and actually, you know, turn it into something, use a stick to help you, you know, support it or whatever. So it was like $2 or something. And I was like, nah, it's gone. I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I stopped, I started being a little more careful with my, my travels, making sure I'm not, you know, throwing stuff out. Yep. So, last thing, uh, we are going to go over the uh, challenge coin of the day. So, challenge coin of the day is uh, from Operation Enduring Freedom. So, we've, oh, got nice. a, uh, we've got an eagle and the shield on there, as well as uh, Lady Justice, and then a globe on one side. And then we've got um, a memorial to September 11th on there on the back with the American flag and the Pentagon and uh, the New York skyline and uh, kind of has uh, the Twin Towers a little bit ghost affected there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty cool, but uh, I wanted to bring that because Operation Enduring Freedom, um, not, not in purpose, but in name, kind of goes along with our topic today talking about uh, the continued fight for defensive rights. Mm. So got to endure, make freedom endure. That's our operation. This is true. And one of the frustrating things that we've been seeing is the callousness towards freedoms. 
Uh, there's a lot of people that have no qualms openly talking about disregarding our freedoms, not just with the Second Amendment, which we much appreciate, but especially the First Amendment's under attack just about as hard as the Second Amendment right oh, now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that want to say that there's specific types of speech, specific things that you say that should not be protected, that you should be um, thrown in jail for an opinion. And that there's no limit on that. I've, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of different things all over the board from if you have conservative ideology all the way to, you know, like terrorist, terroristic threats, which for sure, terroristic threats are, you know, freedom of speech. You, you said it, sure. But there's a consequence if it, if it made other people feel under threat. So I get that there's some restriction that we have to the Constitution when it comes to the First Amendment. But we're, we're, we're not hitting the First Amendment as much today, but it's just kind of the same idea that there's an erosion that's occurring societally that says these freedoms that were enumerated, these were God-given freedoms, right? These weren't just given to us by the government. They were the government acknowledging that we are the power in this country, that we the people are, and that we need to be protected and left alone on these certain areas. And that's starting to quickly deteriorate. Well, that really goes into um, something... I have heard the argument, and so let me start this way. So many times you hear people talk about common sense gun legislation, common sense gun reform, common sense gun laws. They're they're placating. There is no such thing as common sense when it comes to the debate about defensive rights and the debate about firearms. There are logical arguments and there are logical fallacies. And the problem with that is that people will have, grab hold of these logical fallacies and they don't understand the fallacy behind the logic. So they just see the logical side. Oh, that's common sense. Everybody can agree with that. Like, oh, you don't need more than five rounds in your gun. Like, that's common sense. We can all get behind that. No, you have no idea. I understand that you're saying, you're thinking if a, if a shooter only had five rounds in their gun, then they couldn't kill as many people. But if somebody's being attacked, and I'll, I'm being attacked by a group of people, and I only have five rounds in my gun, I might need more than that to defend myself. I might need more than that to defend my family, mm-hmm. the people around me. So you're telling so, me that one shot won't take care of one person? It, it very well might not. You could. The thing is, the number <laughs> of shots it takes and to And I'm take, doing that for no, argument's sake. No, like, just to say, like, I, I understand people's thoughts about that but then when you get into the logistics of firearms and you get into the logistics of basically throwing rocks at people really fast which is what a bullet is it's a rock literally made of mineral flying through the air at supersonic speeds hopefully <laughs> and then you get a result at the end of that i mean it's it, this is cane and able right well and we just how many rocks should should you know not Cain and Abel. this <laughs> well it is Cain and Abel in the fact that he killed the brother with a rock but um, but like you know uh david and goliath how many rocks should David have had access to? Well, well as many as he needed, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's how what's going to stop what's going to stop the threat? Like how many rounds are going to stop the threat? As many as you need. Right. We discussed before about how in police interactions, police shootouts, you get six misses for every one hit. Right. And so I, I'm. There's just, an argument for sure to say that you know is for self defense purposes. I don't think it's fair to say that there's any number. You could really put on it and say for sure this is this goes now from self defense to an assaultive weapon based off of the round count. Right. You don't know what you're what you're going to find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a shootout that happened outside of Rue's apartment when she was in college. Um, it happened out on the street. Over thirty rounds were fired, and nobody was hit. 
So this is, and I think that was a little bit more gang related, but, uh, but the, the point is, is that you, you just don't know, you don't know what you're going to find yourself in. And sure. It's nice to be all, you know, bubbly and, and happy and think of this dream world where, you know, nobody would be able to hurt you if they didn't have a gun or they didn't have a, a more than just a couple of rounds, but that's not the world that exists. And the same limitations that you're putting out there to stop the bad guys are then going to affect the good guys because the CDC study that was performed in 2014 that, or that came out in 2014 that showed defensive uses of firearms showed that they were, that their firearms were used defensively anywhere between twice as much and five times as much as they were used for committing crimes. So it is and it's grossly it is going to affect the law-abiding citizens. It is going to affect the people who are using those firearms to defend themselves far more than it is going to affect those who are using them for crimes. And that's that's a very powerful consideration. The, the argument of if it saves only one life. Well, again, look back at that. How many more times are firearms used defensively than for the committing crimes? If it's only going to save one life, you know, then... <laughs> Let, let's let's make let's, how many lives have firearms saved, and it's right, like let's I was trying be logical. To say, let's let's extend that argument to both sides. I, I think by any metric, if you took anybody who was being serious and having a serious debate about this, they would also agree that situations where a firearm is used to defend oneself, either by brandishing or just by mere presence and people being aware of it or whatever, how many crimes were were potentially averted? Number one, but number two, how how underreported these situations are versus the stats we actually do have, it could be skewed even further to the point of like going into like, you know, instead of like six to one, I think is what the ratio was you said a minute ago. No, so it's it's anywhere between twice <clears throat> as many and five times as many. And that's sure. because they have to estimate right. because it could so be many even times further than that. <laughs> right. Because so many times firearms are used firearms are, are drawn. Right. Firearms are shown. Or you get somebody who, you know, they'll rack that shotgun from behind the door mm-hmm. and it sends the people running. And, and, and then these they don't, also, then these cases aren't reported. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying is there, a lot of times they're not reported, but let's also go to this step that these situations are also ones where people are not hurt. Yeah. And so you had a potentially violent situation or a potentially dangerous situation for a human being and they were able to avert crisis. They were able to avert serious physical harm for themselves and the other person because of their decision to use that firearm. And a lot of people say that just by nature, firearms are dangerous. Well, they're not. They're a tool, and they're only as dangerous as the person that's got the trigger. So if you have a criminal with a trigger and he's willing to use it, that's much more of a threat than a, a good a law-abiding gun owner. The where, like, I, I'll tell you this much. If a, fire, if a firearm is brandished upon me unsolicited, meaning I have not done anything for that firearm to be presented to me, that's probably a criminal issue right that's somebody who's who's creating they're, they're committing a felony right now and they're probably not a legal gun owner or they're probably not a a wise gun owner or a lawful gun owner in any way shape or form for the fact that they're committing a felony most yeah. people that own firearms understand the laws as well as they try to de-escalate the situation not not escalate it so somebody coming at you you know you did nothing wrong whatsoever you're literally just walking along and they pull a gun out on you you know, that's, that's most of the time. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about those situations. We're talking about when a crime is being committed and somebody goes to defend themselves by branching that firearm or giving orders. And all of a sudden it goes from potentially violent situation to now it's under control. Now it's deescalating. The person's walking away and no shots ever fired. And this happens in law enforcement. Imagine how many times a day I, I know from my experience in law enforcement, it was, 
at least two or three times a week, my firearm would be out of my holster pointed at somebody because of a felonious act or because of a very dangerous situation. And I'm not pulling the trigger because I'm well-trained. I'm de-escalating the situation, but I'm leaving my self-defense options available, not just for me, but the people that are around that situation. And so I have a, you know, I had a really high burden of, you know, got to protect my life and others. So those, those types of situations, I mean, the stats on that have got to be like, we look at how many times officers shoot people in the line of duty. And I'm, I'm guarantee you it's at least 10 times that amount that those firearms are out pointing at somebody and never get fired. So it's not the norm for a gun to come out. Number one. No. I and when a gun does come out, it's not the norm for that gun to be fired. I would agree with I, that too. I never fired my gun in the line of duty at someone ever. The only time I pulled it out in line of duty was training and that was it. And it's not because there wasn't a need to, you know, like, oh, well, then you didn't need to have a gun out. No, the gun needed to be out because if it wasn't, the gun, I could have been ambushed. They could have been ambushed. Like, you know, my partners, there could have been all kinds of situations. The gun was the deciding factor. Yeah, it was. The gun was the thing that made the person say, I don't want to do this. It settled the violence because it, it brought to the table the fact that this is now a life and death game. Well, yeah. And it, it was it was a level of escalation. Mm-hmm. But it was an escalation that that person was not willing to match. Correct. And if they were, then... You know, then you end up with a police shooting that we're reading about on the news. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and so that I'm, I'm going to take that back to um, the logical fallacies thing. So one of the most common logical fallacies that I have heard is the idea. And this was brought up by the uh, the guy in the White House right now was saying that, you know, the Second Amendment is an absolute saying you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, first of all, yes, yes, you can you can absolutely yell fire in a crowded theater. <laughs> you have the right to say it. You have the right to say it. You have the right and, to face the consequences. Right. But the thing is, is that if I go into a theater and I yell fire and everybody looks at me like I'm stupid and I just slink out of there, there is nothing that can be charged against me. It has to cause alarm. Exactly. Inciting a panic, that is a punishable offense. <laughs> 19... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll I, I went a little deep on that one, but yeah, we'll, 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 we can talk about all of that on another podcast. There's too much. Well, here's but. an interesting quote from from President Biden, and this is just literally uh, last week related specifically to what you just said. This there uh, there is a Second Amendment, and you do have a right to bear arms, but not an unlimited right. And then he later added, the Constitution does not say anybody can own a fire weapon, uh, own a firearm. It says only certain people can. That is absolutely not true. No, and it, it doesn't say that. <laughs> go go back and listen to our uh, our first episode mm-hmm. um, of for the sake of argument, and that we we covered the Second Amendment in there and how it was written and why it was written, and that that is completely felonious argument. But so let's go let's go further into the uh, the fire discussion. So if I am willfully trying to go in and I'm trying to incite a panic. I am not using my free speech in a constructive manner. I am abusing my free speech. So that's not akin to having a firearm, no. having a machine gun or a tank. That is akin to me going into the city the city square and then using that machine gun on innocent civilians. To give you so the, from the legal perspective is what we call mens rea. Mens rea means the mindset. What was the mindset of the person doing what they were doing? Uh, it's kind of like reading a book and reading a, a line out of a book around a crowd of people, and everyone would be like, oh my gosh, he said this. This is so horrible. I was just reading from a book. 
right? My intent wasn't to cause you all problems and upset you. I was reading lines from a book in context, right? right. Like, so the, the, you know, like we have to take into the fact that people's mindsets have something to do with how we interpret the law and how we decide if somebody has committed a crime or not. And so just by exercising your right to speech or exercising your right to own a firearm does not mean that you have the mental, the mental intent to go and commit a crime. I don't own a firearm because I intend to go, you know, fight the government or I intend to go shoot my neighbor or I intend to do anything. I have a firearm because it's my right. That is my past. That is my, my get out of free jail card on the fact that I've got a firearm. There's yeah. no other explanation needed. No, there's not. And the thing is, even if you were, even if I were to incite a panic, but I am saying I'm going into a crowded theater and shouting fire because there is a fire. Mm -hmm. And even if there is a panic and some people get trampled, there is... There are laws in place called Good Samaritan Law mm -hmm. that prevent me from facing any consequences for that because my intent was not to incite a panic. My right. intent was not to have people trampled, but to save lives because there was an emergency present. Correct. And a lot of times the way the court's interpreted is based off of what that person knows at the time. I'll give you a good example. You have a police officer walk into your building. Let's say you're in a school and it says evacuate the school. There's a problem, right? Are you going to sit and ask questions as to why the officer is saying you need to evacuate the school? No, okay, we need to evacuate the school. There's something going on. He's got more information than I do, right? We leave the school. We find out later that it was a miscommunication. That, you know, they heard something might be going down, and so they evacuated the school out of safety or whatever. That's the, There's no crime that's been committed. It was based off of the information that the people had at that time. You know, So it's it's beyond just the, the, the guilty mindset of, like, I'm doing something on purpose to injure other people. It's also, even if I'm wrong, but I had good reason to believe what I believed, no crime's been committed. Yeah. And so that that shows that the whole idea of saying of not being able to yell fire in a crowded theater means you shouldn't have certain firearms is a logical fallacy. It's not a logical argument. It's not a common sense argument. You are making an indirect comparison. Absolutely. And this so <laughs> this goes into a discussion. I, I was having a discussion with some family. I'm gonna pour myself some more Absolutely. whiskey. Absolutely. I'm gonna pour myself some here in a minute too. Yeah, that's I'm good stuff. Gonna, it really is. Um, so there was a comment that was made by President Biden this last week, and it had to do with the Second Amendment. It had to do with gun ownership. And again, it goes into the mindset. And this is going to be a little bit of a deeper conversation because I think this goes, we're going to have to discuss the mindset of John Q. Public and Joe Biden, right? Like, And not just Joe Biden, but like his ilk, the people that are in his cabinet, the people that are around him influencing his decision-making processes and his policy. Okay, so when you said ilk, I, I was thinking senile people, but no, I, I get what you're coming from now. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not all senile. It may be just him right now. Um, and they're not stepping in the way of that either. No, they're not. So he said, those who say that there is a tree of liberty that is watered with the blood of patriots, a great line, well, guess what? This is his quote. That's um, let's say that was by Thomas Jefferson, correct? Who said that the tree of liberty from time to time needs to be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants alike. And tyrants alike. Uh, he said that's a that's a great line. Well, guess what? The fact is, if you're going to take on the government, you need an F-15 with Hellfire missiles. There is no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you if you're worried about the government knocking down your door. So I know a lot of guys who spent time over in the Middle East uh -huh. going up against insurgents. With AK-47s? Yep. Uh-huh. How'd that, that work? Would, that would uh, say that that is complete BS. Yeah. Guess what? They're still there. They are. Guess what we're doing? We're pulling our troops out, which I'm going to give Biden credit. Thank you. 
Thank you for starting to pull our troops out. Give us a final date and get us out of Afghanistan, get us out of Iraq, and let the Middle East do what the Middle East is going to do. I was, I, I think that it was a mistake to advertise the date. Sure. <laughs> and I think that there is... And the fact that there is a chance Didn't of, you make it September 11th? Yes. Yeah, that's just not not wise. No. I, I think that there's a very good chance that the same thing that's going to happen uh, this time is what happened when... Biden was by a vice president and Obama pulled out and we got ISIS. I think that it's very possible that we'll see a repeat of that because these people don't learn from history. We could, but you know what we need to see instead of us sending our troops over there and, and putting us in danger that much, we need to see a NATO coalition come together and figure this problem out and stop letting us be the world police on all this. No, I completely agree with that. If the, if the NATO is going to be a thing mm-hmm. and they're going to try to help situations, then they need to stop sending just strongly worded letters and go exactly. out there and do something. Put put you and peacekeepers on the ground and do something about it in that area. Go, why are they not in Syria handling this issue in Syria? Why are they not at the border in Crimea dealing with the Russian issue? Why are they not dealing with the, with um, uh, what was the latest deal with not Singapore? What's the other Eastern Asian country that John Cena was apologizing for? Oh, Taiwan. That Taiwan. Yeah. Saying Taiwan exists. Like, what oh, the heck? Gosh. Like, why yeah. is the UN not stepping into these areas? They're not stepping in and dealing with the fact that there's a genocide going on in China, that no, they're taking they're, Christians and slaughtering them. And, and, they're, and they're, they're being stern with Israel for trying to defend themselves right. against the Palestinians for attacking them. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's, that's all we, other we're getting topics. Off, yeah, other we're getting topics. off the beaten path, but to go back to this quote with, with what Biden's saying and what we were originally drawing on is the fact that I don't care how mildly armed a populace is, it still poses a threat no matter how good of a military you have, no matter how good your technology is. There's a few things that really struck me that really bothered me about this statement. The first being, think about what the President of the United States is doing. He is verbally challenging the Second Amendment to the Constitution, and he's predicating it by assumptions on his part that anybody that owns firearms, not just AK-47s, he's throwing that in there because it's a word. He's, he's he doesn't meaning, want to say AR-14 again. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> He doesn't remember how to say AR-15, so he's going to just skip the AK-47. That one's apparently easier when you're losing your mind. But he, So he's saying this, but he's meaning all gun owners, and he's meaning anyone that has a firearm. Think You really think that you're going to stand up to the government? You really think that you're going to keep us from kicking your door in? I'm sorry, but that just feels like a senile, blatant threat against the American people. What it if, is there? What was, if, there was another. There was another politician that said something about um, attacking people with nukes. Yeah, who are standing up against the government. I'm, Look, I'm, you're talking I'm about nuking your own people. That's that is some Saddam Hussein level shit right there. Well, and how is that not identical to what we were dealing with with Saddam Hussein with you know any of these dictators? Let's talk about Hitler. Let's talk about Stalin. Let's talk about any now, of them. They turned that, their weapons of war on their people, and we now have treaties in place, and we now have we now have accords that say you can't do it. You can't turn your army on your own people like that. Like it's 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 just you know we're we're gonna stand against that. That's why we turn into the world police. You know you're, we're not gonna put up with Saddam Hussein. You know using weapons of mass destruction. Oops, can't find them because they went over the border to Afghanistan. But you know going from that to you know we're gonna take you out of power if you're doing that. Syria, we're gonna knock you out of power if you're gonna stand against your own people with your military. And then we're sitting there funding ISIS, the the you know insurgency in Syria. It's like head scratcher. We're going around the world being world police on this issue, and our president over this country 
is making an open, clear threat to the people who own firearms for no other purpose than owning firearms. He's assuming that the only purpose to own a firearm is to deal with the government. It has very little to do with the deal with the government. Well, but it also shows you, well, but it also shows you his mindset, which is he's afraid of what's happening. He's afraid of the fact that he's got a populace that is super armed. Why, why in the heck would he be afraid? Why would this even be a topic of discussion? Why should he be concerned about an armed populace? There wasn't an armed populace that showed up at the at the, at the January sixth attack no. on the on the Capitol. No, they were not an armed populace. No. So if that was that's what he's going to base it off, because that's the hint I'm getting at. When you p- compile his comments, you compile what's been happening. He keeps going back to that issue, that January sixth issue at the Capitol, and saying that there's extremists that are in our nation that are are homegrown terrorists. And they're the biggest threat. And you got the FBI saying it. You've got everybody under the sun that's got a three-letter acronym saying that homegrown American, you know, patriots, quote unquote, are the biggest threat. So that's actually something that's going on within the military right now. So they have mandatory training that's been going on to seek out what they call extremism in the military. And that's because the people that they've been able to identify at January 6th over one-fifth of them were current or former military members. Mm -hmm. And that's a larger percentage than the general population. Sure. Per capita, at least. Yeah. So the thing is, is that they've they've been going in, they've been doing trainings, and they've been talking about what makes an extremist organization and an extremist ideology. Well, one of the things that they've pointed out is a group called the Oath Keepers. Now, Oath Keepers are people who their entire purpose is saying that we adhere to the oath of enlistment that we took. Okay. And the oath of enlistment. So they're pointing back to their enlisted days. Well, and so the thing is it's not just the oath of enlistment, but when you're, you're sworn in as an officer for the military, you do something similar. You take a similar oath, both of which swear to uphold and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And let's be clear, this is not exclusive to just military. This is something that law enforcement does. And this is something that officers of the court do. This is something that city officials, your mayor, they swear in. And, and again, they swear to uphold the Constitution. All these people that, are, that we elect to city Congress, government, the president, county, exactly. Any kind of official office that you're representing people of the United States, you take that oath. And so the idea is that... That later on, it does say in the oath of enlistment that you will follow the orders of the president and the officers appointed over you. However, the very first thing that you're saying is that you swear to uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. There's a reason why that is the predominant thing that you say in the oath. There's it's an order of that, operations occurring. Exactly. That is paramount. That is the most important part of the oath. Right. And so the idea of the oath keepers is saying, hey, if we're ever given orders that go outside of the bounds of the Constitution, we will not carry them out. Correct. And that is something that is taught vehemently throughout military history is you, it's not just in the statement that you make during your oath. They actually train you on this and explain to you if you're given an order by a senior official to you to do something that you know is illegal and that you know is against a, a, a treaty that we've signed, if it's against the code of conduct, if it's against anything that, that proceeds. General morality. Right. If it's, it's ab- if it's above them and they're telling you to do something illegal that you know is a law that you're going to be held to, you do not have to obey that order. That is called is an unlawful. unlawful order. Exactly. And so the idea is that they, they're going to adhere to that oath. 
So this is not an anti-government group. Right. The, the purpose of this isn't to be anti-government. And I believe that there are even police officers who are, are included in some of the Oath, Groupers, Oath oh, Keepers sure. organizations. Sure. But the, the idea is that you are going to you're going to stand to that oath. You are going to stand to the ideals of the Constitution and the ideals upon which this nation was founded, the ideals of freedom, that you know that we have been able to build this great nation mm-hmm. on those foundations. So it, it's not an anti-government thing. The only time it becomes an anti-government thing is if the government is the one to violate those principles of the Constitution, thereby becoming an enemy of the Constitution, mm-hmm. even a domestic enemy of the Constitution. One so, of the first things that stood out to me when I read this quote from Biden, I, I, I kind of just laughed to myself because we're talking about the logical fallacies, right? That was one of the things that brought this whole conversation up. And this was literally my first comment when I saw that article. It was the first thing to pop in my head. His And the title of the of the article at the time said, gun owners with AK-47s can't be the government's F-15s in Joe Biden's words, right? It's a summarization and it's a characterization that's not exact, but it carries weight. And my response was, okay, great then there is no problem with little citizens owning AK-47s because they pose no threat to the government. That is such a logical fallacy. They know that a fully auto AK-47 poses a threat to the government. That's why they don't want you to own one. Yeah. It's that simple. So it's a lot, like his his fallacy is the idea that an F-15 at 50,000 feet has any bearing on my day-to-day life, number one. Number two, has no bearing on the fact that the dynamics that happen in a community, when you have blended, we've seen this all throughout Afghanistan and Iraq. When you're dealing with an insurgency, you're dealing with people that are a part of the community, good luck separating them, good luck dropping a bomb, because you're going to be dropping on innocence, right? Yeah. And so are we talking about dropping Hellfire missiles from F-15s onto United States citizens? Because that sounds like what he's saying. He, well, his, his mind went there. He and was thinking it's somebody in his, somebody got in his head. I don't know if it was a staffer or this is completely contrived out of his own experiences, but something got into his head that made him think that this would be a really good time to talk about the fact that, yeah, you got a second amendment, but um, you're not going to stand up against us. So that completely goes against the idea of the second amendment. No, really? I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the whole idea is saying that, you know, a, the security of, uh, of well, no, go back. A well-regulated further. militia being necessary to the security of a free state, mm-hmm. the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And not a free the, United States, a free state, meaning more local, meaning this well, isn't about the federal power. I think this that is they also meant, about the. I think that they meant by that saying that, like any like state entity. So not so. If you look outside of the U.S., a state generally refers to a nation, a nation state, and that's what. And original, we, and that, we are. the idea was that our, our individual <laughs> states were supposed to act like individual nation states, but be under the banner of exactly. the United States, meaning they have autonomy. Right. So, if you back it up, what I was trying to say a second ago, if you back this up to the formation of the Constitution, that's where it really kind of illustrates the fact that because of what we've dealt with, because of tyrannical leaders, because of the problems of the old world. We are creating this nation to separate ourselves from that out-of-control behavior. Absolutely, because that was our militia mm-hmm. going up against our government. Absolutely. And to, our to soldiers. Ourselves. Right. To, to defend our states. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, they were the colonies at the time, but still, they were to defend our, our communities, our lives, our people against our own government. And, rem- and remember, it wasn't until more than a year after the start of the American Revolution that we actually declared our independence from Britain. True. The original thing was to say, hey, you, you can't just come in and control us. You're separate. You're not representing us. Like, we're not right. putting up with it. It was a fight for our rights, not a fight for independence. Not Absolutely. until a year afterwards. 
So and then and the then other, they felt it important enough to put it in the amendments what our rights are. Yeah. So they can no longer be questioned. To to not to grant our rights, but to enumerate our rights, to list them and to protect them from government infringement. Mm-hmm. And again, we we talked about in the Second Amendment episode how the the Federalist Papers were written as an argument for the ratifying of the Constitution. Right. This was their explanation of why we need to pass this and what the intent is behind the uh, the Constitution. And in Federalist 29, written by Alexander Hamilton, he talks about how there can be no um, threat to the people as long as uh, there can be little threat of a standing army as long as the people are not sub- are not inferior in training and use of arms. It's the, not the exact wording, but essentially that's the idea. The idea is that as long as the people have the training and the arms to stand like that matches the standing military, the military cannot be a threat to the people's liberty. Let's be clear. There was not supposed to be a standing military, and there wasn't for a very long time. Because it was the idea that we, the people, are the military. We, the people, are the government. We, the people, do all those things. And it wasn't until later that we said, hey, having a standing military to deal with our foreign affairs, our foreign securities, isn't a bad idea. So well, maybe it was also have... some domestic stuff. They were dealing right. a lot with, with Native Americans and stuff on, on the plains. That's a whole other issue. There are a whole lot of tragedies and other things that, that are involved in that. But, yeah, essentially... That's true. We weren't supposed to have a standing military. And it became a point where we, we we needed one. It was finally agreed upon that, yeah, we needed one. But they were still not supposed to be and, and weren't until the uh, National Firearms Act was passed in 1934. There was no limitation to what people could have versus what the government could have. Yeah, And we talked about that in, in the, the National NFA. Firearms Act mm-hmm. uh, podcast. So the, the argument there said there in... The Federalist Papers, the argument for the Constitution by the people who were there at the convention discussing it, is that the government should not be superior to the people in arms. So your F-15 should be matched by our F-15, mm-hmm. or our F-22, or our F-18, whatever we want to put up against you, because we should be able to have those. And there was actually, in Florida, there's now a guy who has the largest civilian fleet yes. of F-18s. <laughs> Which and is I, pretty cool. It is awesome. But, <laughs> and, but that's the way it should be. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Is that people should be able to have those things if you can afford it, you can afford the upkeep and the maintenance that, and and the initial purchase price. That absolutely you should be able to have that. Mm-hmm. So, and now moving on beyond that point of just the fact that the military has that, we're going back a little bit to the oathkeeper uh, attitude. Is that the former vice president is now assuming that the military would obey such an order to go and bomb its own people. Well, to, to go one logical fallacy deeper, the straw man argument, this this comment of saying an F-15 with Hellcats versus you and your AK-47, it's a complete straw man. Who is this man who's wanting to stand up with AK-47 against the government? No one is, there's no mass group out there saying this is what's happening. Okay, I'm going to have to disagree with you from the standpoint of what happened with BLM, not Black Lives Matter, but the Bureau of Land Management out in Utah a few years ago. Okay. So, uh, do you remember the story of Clyde Bundy? Yes, and so, this completely flies on the face of what Biden said again, but go ahead. <laughs> right. So, there were, it was basically, they were, in a nutshell, and I didn't research this it, to get all my I facts I know quite before. a bit about this one. Right, so. but uh, I was, for the listener's yeah. sake, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't research this to get all my, all my facts straight on this because I didn't think we would get into this mm-hmm. particular topic. But essentially what it was is that there were uh, 
there's people were able to use uh, Nevada land or was it Utah there's, land? There's but, permits that are given for cattle to migrate and graze in publicly owned land. Exactly. And the so, Bureau of Land Management is the organizing body, and they're not even an enforcement agency. They're or they're an, an administration over that land, and their job is to make sure that these agreements are upheld. Yes. Now, those rights change based off of different resources. The BLM goes in and looks at it and says, okay, what are our resources in this area? Maybe we need to let this land sit for a while and not have cattle graze on it. Maybe we're trying to preserve a certain ecosystem, whatever. They, they have the reasons. That's fine. But there was longstanding agreements that the Bundy family had prior. I, not just the Bundy family, but a lot many, of other people. Yeah, there's had. a lot of other ones. But it, the, as far as the land usage that predated some of the restrictions that they were putting in place, that that original contract would always be like the higher and like the higher authority. It superseded. Right. It was the higher authority on how should it be handled. And the BLM was not recognizing that. Yeah. And for that purpose, they were not just trying to prevent the Bundys from moving their cattle. They were actually trying to separate the cattle from and use that as a way to get back what they believed to be a owed money for the usage because they felt like the Bundys misused the land. And because the, it was outside of what they believed was the contract, then they owed them that money. So they were just going to take the cattle. Yeah. A seizure of property. Mm-hmm unlawful seizure of property exactly and so the bunnies basically went down and said hey we better get all of our cattle together and move them on out of here and blm showed up with several hundred agents and several hundred uh i'm not sure exactly which all agencies they used but there was a couple different agencies that showed up for that issue well but they were also they were trying to charge him with fees and and that's what i mean that's the money and mm -hmm. and essentially he reached out and People joined together and not just like first it was a lot of local ranchers. It gained some national attention and you got people from all over that came out and had a standoff with the federal government there over these, these issues. And it was a literal an armed standoff. standoff. You had, there were weapons being pointed both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, but it was something that, that indicated, Hey, you know what? We're not going to stand here as people. We are not going to stand here and let you just dictate whatever you want to to us and violate your own rules and your own agreements. We are going to stand up to this. Mm -hmm. And if you come here with force to in to enforce, sorry, but if you come here to enforce those laws, those those rules that you have then made in violation of previous agreements, and you're going to try to push us around, we are going to stand up to you with a matched force. Correct. And the thing is, they backed off. The government backed off. Well, they realized that there was really, when you threaten force, there's nothing else you can threaten, right? You're, you're to the point. You it's like up with, standing up to a bully. Right. It's, it's <laughs> like you, you, have some, you have a government agency that ultimately has what is perceived to be more power and more strength and more resources than these ranchers. Right, I think it'd be fair to say that BLM has way more resources than the Bundy family, than any of the other families that were involved in this. However, it was the community pooling around it saying, this isn't going to happen. And this goes back to this fallacy. This, And this is why I still think it's a straw man. is because there's no active group of people saying, we're marching and we're taking this back. We're, we're overthrowing the government. None of that's happening. So it's a straw man argument. The fact that he's trying to put every gun owner into this straw man you know, position to say that they own an AK-47, they own a firearm to stand up against the government. Now, but even, like you're saying with you, with your situation with the Bundys and and this you know cattle movement, right? Is it 
it shows like, okay, you have F-15s, you have helicopters, you have snipers, you have officers that have firearms, you have all these resources and you're this big, bad, great government, but you just let a couple of ranchers stop you guys from doing what you're doing. You had to back down from it. Yeah, because when all you do is threaten force, then you're basically saying, okay, it's going to have to be a bloodbath. And all of a sudden when it's in, on equal footing, oh, okay, maybe maybe we are the ones that are antagonizing. That was the first time I've seen any government agency realize, have that self check of like we're the antagonist if we back away they haven't shot at us if we back away this issue's over well and so i'll, I'll disagree with you a little bit on that argument. okay so I, for I, the sake of argument what are you what are you throwing my way here so for the sake of argument i i own a firearm because i love to shoot mm-hmm. because i love to work on firearms i love to to modify and to to build firearms i i actually like that more than shooting and just so you know, Red, you don't have to qualify your reason for owning a firearm. No, but I, go ahead. <laughs> but the having firearms for for me, like having some of the firearms that I have, or some of the firearms that I want to have, but it, like going towards that point, like if I have them, not just for the fun of them, but in case I need to use them, in case I need to use them against somebody who breaks into my house. Somebody who comes attacks me or my family on the street. Somebody who comes in and starts doing a mass shooting in the mall while I'm there. I have those in case I need to use them. And the government is one of those things that I I might need to use them against. Now, what I would love is to just be in a cold war. Absolutely. To where they know what I've got, I know what they've got, and neither of us want to make an outright move against one another as far as as far as actual force. And that's why this is a little bit of a concerning remark for me from hearing from a sitting United States president about his fantasy, which it is, because it's it's not a reality. There's nothing in reality that's happening right now that there's a group of people that are actively carrying AK-47s and trying to go up against F-15s with Hellfire in the United States. It's not right. happening. No, but I, a, I want that to remain in, in a Cold War state where they know that I have force to use against them if they move too far. And so they don't move too far. And I know that they have force against me. If I were to move too far, which I don't, I have no intention of moving too far. I won't just want to live my life. I want to live life in peace. That's why I like, I'm not, I have libertarian leanings, but I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an outright libertarian. Right. But that's one of the reasons I love the, the image of the libertarians, which is a porcupine. (laughs) I mean, it's a peaceful animal, but it's got the ability to defend itself if it needs to. Everything about it is defensive. defensive. I mean, that actually, there was was a push to make the rattlesnake the national emblem of America. In fact, the Gadsden flag, one of the earliest flags used um, for the United States, uh, for the colonial military, has a coiled rattlesnake ready to strike, and the words, don't tread on me, underneath. It's because... A rattlesnake is not an inherently aggressive snake. No. It sits there. And then if Only you come too close, to get on. <laughs> when you come too close, it rattles. It warns you. It lets you know, hey, leave me alone. I just want to be here. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to attack you. I, I, I just want to be here. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to get too close. And then it strikes. Then it, 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 it attacks. But that's only because you've pushed it that far. And I like that image. I think that that's one of the reasons why we've seen a resurgence in the Gadsden flag is, number one, to hold to ideals of freedom and and individual rights that were inherent in our founding, but also because of the nature of the rattlesnake itself and saying, look, we don't want to get to that point. 
we don't want to have an open war with the government. And, and we're, is, we're not trying to have, you know, the, the Civil War Part 2 or American Revolution Part 2. There's a lot of jokes about the Boogaloo, but even most of the Boogaloo guys I, I'm that I've talked to have still been in the attitude of, no, we're, we're out here as a show of force so that they will back down and leave us alone and we don't have to get into this. Absolutely. And that kind of drives to my point that there is not an active assault on the United States. There's not an active assault on F-15s with Hellfire missiles by people with AK-47s. There's a, like you said, a Cold War, a standoff, if you will, an understanding that's being gained about we're not going to be pushed too far. We're, we're firearms owners. That's That in and of itself should not be anything illegal. Therefore, back off. And that's what I'm saying about this conversation. I think what you're saying is, I understand that you're saying that this isn't necessarily a straw man in the sense that there are people that will stand up against this. I'm saying it's a straw man to say that you have to have any explanation other than you're right to bear a firearm. Yes. You should not have any other reason necessary. Absolutely.